going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Well, greetings and salutations, my friends. A very happy Friday, right before the family day long weekend. So hopefully you get a chance to spend some time with some loved ones, whether they be family, whether they be friends, because I know sometimes the family dynamic, not exactly ideal by any stretch of the imagination. A bunch to get to through the course of the show today. We will try to get you an update after 5 o'clock on the situation in Haiti involving the Canadians down there. We'll also chat about a new racetrack, Rocky Mountain Speedway, uh, Rocky Mountain Motorsports putting together in Mountain View County. Later on in the show, we'll kind of update the situation because that's been something that's been in the plans for a little while now. We'll also talk uh, some economics. Todd Hirsch from ATB Financial is back with his regular uh, check-in. And we'll also talk skating for Alzheimer's. 19 hours on the blades. We'll chat with Steve McNeil, who's in town, in just a few minutes. We're going to start things off, though, with Hadil Abdel-Nabi. Now, she recently penned an article in The Sprawl, and it's called East Calgary is Not a Culture Tour. And I read it and went, man, we have misconceptions about every community, it seems like. But East Calgary, whether it's Forest Lawn or Applewood or any of the communities in the east side, even northeast, we have these misconceptions, I think. It's not safe. It's not this. It's not that. Hadil joins us now in the program to dive more into it. Hadil, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you for having me. Let's start with the reasoning behind why you wanted to shed a light on some people's thoughts and impressions and maybe misconceptions, actually not even a maybe, they they are misconceptions about the city's east side. Yeah, I mean, growing up on the east end of Calgary, I, I internalized a lot of shame and a lot of, a lot of I would say, self-hate. Um, and I think that comes with, first of all, being a person of color, being a visible minority. But um, I was really interested in the way that that tied in with with coming from the Northeast specifically. Um, and it's always been this this underlying vibe that I've that I've felt inside. But um, it's never been anything that's been addressed externally. It's nothing that anyone ever wanted to talk about. It was just sort of like this this silent truth. Um, so I really wanted to, to bring it to the light. And there's been a lot of, um, a lot of people that have, uh, been able to connect with that, whether they're visible minorities, people of color or not. What is it that is being in from, from your standpoint, what is it that you've heard about the East side? What is it that has been said about the East side that has really kind of stuck with you over all these years? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more, microaggressions it's more of like that smiling racism where it's you're ashamed to to say that you're from i'm from marlboro it's it's been like this uh this underlying presence um so what i've heard from you know um people from other parts of the city is oh um there might be like it's so dangerous over there or like um you you must have to like lock your doors at night and stuff like that it's like everyone does that but whatever Mm -hmm. um uh, it's hard to pinpoint exactly like what it is because that's what microaggressions are. They're they're quiet um, and they're they they just give you a sense of othering. Um, so it's it's just been this underlying thing of of being ashamed to be from here because of the stereotypes that are attached to the east end of Calgary. It's dangerous. Um, it's it's ethnic for one. Um, it's where where people of color 
um, have like the largest communities and things like that. Um, so, how frustrating is it when I working in the newsroom? It, it's probably a different sense altogether, but it's that idea of you know even the safety aspect is going you know oh that happened in Forest Lawn, shocker, mm-hmm. right? Like that that exists and it's still there and has been for quite a while. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, I mentioned the in the article when I first uh, when my parents, me and my parents were talking about where I would go to high school, and they mentioned Forest Lawn. I myself was afraid, um, and I live in the Northeast, and I like I've been to the Southeast, obviously. So it's uh, it's something very internal. So it's it's very frustrating to to hear comments, um, and then in turn have have people turn around and ignore, like pretend like they didn't just make a comment and use the, the East End for the benefits of, you know, the vibrant cultures that we have going on here. Um, so it's, it's like a, a very weird paradox to observe. It's one of those things, too, and, and me being the reporter that I was, one of the things that I hated doing and I, I didn't subscribe to it was it always seemed like whenever there was a crime, it didn't matter what part of the city it was in it was you got to go get the neighbors because they'll give you that clip where it's oh this is such a normally quiet community and yet mm-hmm. the same isn't really expected on the east side for whatever reason is do you get that sense as well yeah of course i mean it's expected that there's crime here it's expected that um it's it's poverty ridden it's expected all of these these harmful, oppressive stereotypes are expected of the East End, which is why we're not given the benefit or the privilege to to comment on things like um, how safe our neighborhoods are or or what it's really about here, which is um, really unfortunate, and it's a conversation that needs to happen. Yeah, and you, you segued extremely well into my next question, which goes to show why you might be a reporter is <laughs> and, and columnist, <laughs> is, is exactly that. Is uh, A, you, you wrote the piece to get the conversation started, but where does the conversation need to develop in your eyes? Does it need to happen from a residential standpoint? Does it need to happen from a, a city official standpoint? Who, who's got to kind of share the buck here and pass the buck around to be able to uh, finally get some of these these conversations going full tilt? Yeah, I mean, it would be great if city officials acknowledged it, but I honestly think that it needs to happen, um, you know, on the ground first. It needs to happen in conversations with your friends. If um, if someone makes a comment or if, if it's like the, like a sly joke that makes, that, you know, sets off an alarm in your mind that like, okay, that, that doesn't seem... Um, like the greatest thing to say, then that's that's where the conversation starts. It's having the ability to say what you need to say um, and not be afraid uh, of of what others might believe. So, um, if someone brings up something about the East End, um, I usually like make it a point to be very proud about where I'm from um, and and counteract those comments. I don't like to buy into the jokes. I don't like to buy into um, the oppression. So that's that's something that needs to happen, whether there's, you know, people from the East End around you or not. Um, I think that's the most important point. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, that I, I what I took away from reading your article there is is it's almost a call to arms to not just Calgarians, but East Calgarians to stand up and and take ownership of their community and, and be proud of their community rather than be defensive about their community. Yeah, of course. Like, there's, uh, like you said, there's such a, a defensive aspect of uh, once the East End is brought up. Like, I... Um, 
I struggled with that a lot. Like as soon as someone would ask me, where are you from? And I would just immediate be, immediately be like Marlboro, but it's not that bad there. So I think that's a very dangerous narrative to play into. Um, and it's something that, that we need to work on collectively. If you want to read more on this topic, you can head on over to Twitter. I'll tweet the link to uh, Hadil's article all about the perceptions of the East Side and why they need to change. Uh, Hadil, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Even though it's pretty cold outside and has been for a while, one man is hoping to raise some awareness around Alzheimer's by skating for 19 hours and 26 minutes in each of the seven Canadian NHL cities. And he's in Calgary starting today. His name is Steve McNeil. He joins us now. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. What is it that got you thinking about this idea in the first place? Uh, my mother. My mother battled Alzheimer's for the better part of 20 years. And uh, back in Toronto, where I live, I'm a, a recreational hockey referee, just a beer league hockey referee. And seven and a half years ago, in the middle of refereeing a hockey game, I came up with this zany idea of how I could try to give back. So as a tribute to my mom, who is one of the greatest hockey moms in the world, she was born in 1926. So I thought I'm going to go out and skate for 19 hours and 26 minutes as a tribute to her. Unreal. What goes, <laughs> what goes through your mind over the course of that 19 hours plus? How? What are you doing to kind of keep yourself motivated to keep going round and round and, and doing all kinds of different things on ice? I listened to only ACDC for the entire 19 hours and 26 <laughs> minutes for one. I'm, I have been, I'm dead serious. I've done it for four years now as a tribute to Malcolm Young, who had his own personal battle with dementia and took his life last November. Right. Huh? I would have never put that that together at all, but that's uh, that's definitely very fitting. So, do you have every one of their songs on on uh, on an iPod somewhere along the line, or how did yes, you manage? I have I have two iPhones and an iPod. All three are decked up with their entire library. So, I generally, if one dies, I can plug another one in. But I just hit shuffle. I'm not pre-programming songs or nothing. Whatever comes on is good enough for me because I've been a fan of the band since I first saw them in 1978. That's unreal. As a teenager, and now I'm 58 and still loving them just as much. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm the, the same way. The adrenaline thing, you know, with the sound and everything, it just keeps you going, keeps a steady pace, which keeps me warm in these type of temperatures also. So it's a win-win. I was going to ask you about that. How do you prep for weather? Because obviously with that amount of time skating, especially here in Alberta, if you don't like the weather, five uh, wait five minutes, it'll change. So it's <laughs> it's got to be a, a tough thing. To, do you, are you ready to maybe shed some layers if need be and, and that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I'm completely ready for the elements, whatever they come. Well, I was skated in uh, Vancouver on Tuesday, on uh, Wednesday, correction, and uh, it was zero degrees there, so I could have done that one in a t-shirt. It was like skating in Florida, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but uh, I'm a Canada Post worker in Toronto. I've been a mailman for 15 years. So our, our winters get pretty harsh there sometimes, too. Not quite as nasty as Alberta might be, but it, it, you know they're not, not too shabby themselves. So I can't go into my boss and say it's too cold for me to work, so I just take that kind of kind of temperament onto the ice with me, and there's nothing that's going to stop me. If there's anything that you'd like people to know about Alzheimer's that maybe they didn't know before, what would that be? There's a lot more resources out there than people might think. 
um, anybody who's out there who's got a family member that's battling this or starting into the, to, you think your family, there's places you can go get the proper testing done. Contact the Alzheimer's Society of Calgary. Uh, these people will, will steer you in the right direction. There's all kinds of programs out there. There's all kinds of counseling sessions. There's online stuff that can be done. There's so much research going into it now compared to back in the day. Uh, we're way, way ahead of the game than where we were even 10 years ago. What does it mean to you to be able to uh, shed a little bit of light or even put a little bit of a spotlight on a disease that m- means so much to you and your family and what your family dealt with? Uh, if I could put it in hockey terms, it's like winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, I go out here and I do this because... Uh, believe me when I say this, I'm not doing it for, to get attention for myself. That was my biggest obstacle starting this in 2012, which I didn't want it to seem like it was about me. But it was explained to me over the last couple of years by some pretty prominent people that every voice has a cause and I'm, that, I'm it. So I've kind of taken that mantra and run with it. Um, there's a lot of things out there, a lot of stigmas and stuff with the disease, which is probably the hardest thing to get rid of. You know what I mean? But uh, I go out here and I just try to gain as much awareness as I can and that's the most fulfilling thing to me is uh, the biggest rush I get is when total strangers come onto the ice and they start telling me about their mom or their dad and they they realize right away that I'm somebody they can talk to because I've been down that road and that's the biggest rush I get out of it. Big thanks to Steve. If you want more information on it, 1926skate.com. All the best, Steve, in uh, your skating heading into tonight. This Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. We're also endeavoring right now to get the latest on the situation in Haiti. Uh, James Roberts and uh, Mark Honorat have been uh, talking about it uh, with a bunch of Canadians uh, over in Haiti right now, some civil unrest in the region prompting warnings from uh, senior levels of government and everywhere else. So uh, a lot of talk right now, and it sounds like we have we are going to be uh, chatting with them momentarily here on Calgary Today. And we have uh, James Roberts on the line now from uh, Haiti Arise. James, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Hi, thank you. What is the latest on those who you guys have over in Haiti right now? Well, the latest is I just got an update. Now, everybody's safe. Everybody's fine. Good news there. Um, yeah. Um, the the big issue is that nobody can go anywhere because all the roads are blocked and uh, people are riding and they've got tires burning and rocks in the road and burning cars. So we're, we're about 65 kilometers west of the airport in Port-au-Prince. And so um, our people are fine. They're safe. They're at our campus. But... What we've done is we've hired um, a helicopter service to ferry people in from Grand Guave, where we are, into the Port-au-Prince airport. Now, unfortunately, um, that airlift was supposed to happen today, but I just got word a little while ago that it's been postponed until the morning. How long have you guys known that the things were going to be shaping up the way they have been? Uh, you know... Probably, you know, it's been about a week. Um, But as it got closer now, the team was supposed to leave on Wednesday. So as it got closer to Wednesday, we were monitoring the situation uh, with the Canadian Embassy down there to see how things were. But by Wednesday morning, we realized that there was going to be no way we could get to the airport. Um, We were kind of hoping there was kind of a rumor that things might die down on the weekend and we could sneak in. But the president made his uh, 
his declaration that he's not going to step down, he's not going to resign. So uh, things ramped up awfully quick. So, you know, by Tuesday, Wednesday, we knew that uh, we were in for the long haul and, uh, and we had to find a different way out. How close have you been to the unrest? What have you seen thus far out of what's been going on in Haiti? Where, where we are, it's pretty calm. Um, the town is pretty safe. We're outside uh, the metropolitan area of Port-au-Prince. So it's a, a little bit has happened. A few things have happened, but nothing serious. So it's not like we're, we're seeing rioters come by and things happening. Um, we're just catching it on the news like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And we're just monitoring it and making sure that, uh, that our people are safe. And there's a few other missions down there that, uh, that we're close to and uh, everybody, that uh, we're keeping everybody is we're keeping everybody safe. You guys have much in the way of supplies or anything, or are you guys running low on that already, or what's the situation that, there? That's the big thing. That's the big thing is that all the food depots are closed now. Um, the the gas depots, the fuel depots are closed. So you really can't get any food. You really can't get any fuel for diesel or gas vehicles or generators. And you know, one of the big things is that uh, – the president has lifted a lot of uh, subsidies and prices have skyrocketed. So even if people had money, they couldn't uh, buy food because it's too expensive. And the money they've got has been devalued horrendously over the last few months that their buying power has dropped to next to nothing. So even if their stores were stocked, they couldn't afford to buy it. Wow. Uh, James, I appreciate the insight and the update and uh, all the best. And hopefully we get you back here sooner rather than later. Sure. Sounds good. Thank you. James Roberts from uh, Haiti Arise giving us the latest on the situation with some uh, southern Alberta residents who were over in Haiti as the civil unrest unfolded there uh, in that region. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Let's change gears and uh, go a little lighter and a little maybe more motorsports-ish here. A lot of fans waiting with anticipation to see what's being planned north of the city with Rocky Mountain Speedway. We've been talk- It's been a topic of conversation over the last uh, couple of years now, and I thought we'd be timely for a good update now. We're joined now by uh, Dominic Young from Rocky Mountain Motorsports. Dominic, thanks so much for the time today. Hey, Joe, thanks very much for having us on 770. This is quite the project that you guys have in your scope now, and you're one step closer to making it a reality. Tell us about what is planned for that corner on the QE2 as you are about to enter car stairs. Yep, so we're right at the corner of QE2 and Highway 581, as you've indicated. Uh, Initially, what we're going to be putting in there is uh, a new motorsports uh, racetrack and the paddock facilities to support that. Um, the initial racetrack is going to be 3.5 kilometers long. It's got some really uh, interesting elevation change and some really challenging uh, corners and turns involved. So that'll be the first piece that goes in. Uh, as we move the development along and get into subsequent development permits, we'll be looking at putting in uh, private uh, trackside garages. Uh, we'll have a commercial zone, and we're hoping that we will become the future home for the uh, Calgary Police Service Driver Training Academy. Take us back to the original idea behind this and what prompted you guys to go, this might be something that we can do in Alberta and it'll be a sustainable idea. Well, I think if you look at um, 
the population, first of Calgary, you know, 1.2 million people, and then the broader southern Alberta area, we're talking probably 3 million people uh, as a marketplace. And um, it's really the only significant marketplace of that size around North America that wouldn't have some sort of uh, dedicated motorsports facility. So uh, there's no question in our mind that the market is there and waiting for it. And, of course, the only facility that Calgary used to have, which, which was a different type of facility to what we're proposing, but did allow people to get out in their cars, and that was at Race City down in uh, southeast Calgary. And, of course, that closed over five years ago. So, um, yeah, we're here to fill uh, a market void that we see existing. I was going to ask you that question, but given this is Calgary today, of course, is what would be the big differences between what we saw at Race City and what we'll see uh, down the road with the, the project on the QE2? Uh, Race City was uh, built uh, in what I would call the sort of old-fashioned model of a motorsports park, where it really was catering to um, an oval drag strip um, and somewhat to an automotive, uh, automotive road course. Um, and, and had a, a business model that was, um, you know, about putting some bums in seats. Uh, the dis- difference between that and our model is we're much more dedicated towards uh, the road racing community. There will be no drag strip or oval involved in, in the uh, development. And um, we're targeted a user market as opposed to uh, spectators in seats. Right. I was going to ask about that side of it as well. Is Do you feel like there's any onus on you to try to uh, bring the, the entertainment dollar to the fore? Do you think that this is going to be something that is going to be uh, more for the users? Um, I, we do definitely see it more for the users. Um, we'll have a combination um, sort of semi-private model, similar to a semi-private golf course, really, where we'll have a dedicated membership base that will be allocated about 50% of the usable time for the track, and then the other 50% will have available for public access. And uh, that might be through motorsports and motorcycle clubs, or it might be through performance driving schools that we hope uh, will come um, to the facility. Uh, And beyond that, um, you know, there'll be some open... um, Track, tracking sessions, essentially, that, uh, that we'll be putting on for the general public. Walk us through what's happening from an approval standpoint. And you're dealing with uh, Mountain View County up there. Uh, what kinds of things do you have to go through before you can finally put a shovel in the ground? The hard part of the process probably happened uh, over uh, a year ago, um, in, the, in the early 2016 through first quarter of 2017, and that's when we got our land use approval and approval from the county for the, um, the concept plan of uh, putting together this development and having it located at this site. Um, so since then, we've been working to clear uh, a regulatory issue, which we've now resolved, and uh, we are, have been working through the detailed engineering. Um, and, and now that has been submitted in the form of a development permit to the county. They have to go through a technical review of those documents, and then the final um, stamp of approval comes from the council itself on that. But there's no further public hearing process at this stage. If all goes according to plan, and if you can take out your crystal ball, when would you love to see uh, the first cars going around the, the track at the new facility? If we could see everything going to plan, we would hope that would be September 1 of this year. And so you guys aren't messing around the minute that everything is approved. You guys are getting right to work. We are doing that exactly, yes. It sounds like a great time and looking forward to seeing uh, seeing this idea come to fruition. Dominic, I do appreciate the time and the update on what's happening north of our city. You're very welcome. And again, thanks for having us on. 
Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary today. Thank you.